Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. The rest, if you would, remain standing as we hear from 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Eric, and I'm here to give you a message from God's Word. This morning, I got up a little early, and when my wife came downstairs, I was there to greet her at the bottom of the stairs. I had the cat in my arms. I was dancing around, singing a song, and she said, I just can't do it. How many cups of coffee have you had? I love to teach the Word of God. I am so excited, as Lucius said, to be here this morning that the Lord has allowed me to bring you this message from God's Word. I was talking to a young lady before the sermon, and she says, well, I was telling someone that this isn't the normal church. One of the things about it is you teach from the Scriptures. Yeah, that's us, huh? Is that us or what? from the Scriptures. So last week, Ben uh, helped us out with uh, looking at the roles of men and women from chapter 2 of Timothy. And there were some specific exhortations, if you were here. Men, pray. (laughs) Come on, pray. Women, learn. How are men to pray? Lifting up holy hands. How are women to learn? In quietness and submission. Now, this week, we're going to look at the qualifications for elders. Next week will be deacons. And the purpose of this passage is for Timothy to learn how to recognize leaders. And I'm going to make three points. I'm going to tell you what they are right off the bat. Three points. Number one, 
Oh, first off, we had our little pastor's meeting on, on Monday. Monday morning, we always meet. And uh, Ben gave me a little challenge. First off, he wanted to preach this section, and I had to wrestle him. because We stripped off. We oiled off. We wrestled. I prevailed. I got to preach this. He really wanted to do it too bad. But he said to me, he says, look, this portion is really for elders to know how they need to conduct themselves and all that. How on earth are you going to apply it to the congregation? <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> Point number one. First off, this list of qualifications is based primarily on the character the character of the person, not the competencies. The character. Second, point number two, this character, desirable character, is first displayed in the person's own household, in his home. Point number three, therefore, these characteristics really apply to all of us. Most especially to leaders, but really to all of us. This is what God wants us to be like. So that's the three points. Let's open in prayer, and then we're going to dive right into it. Father God, help me to bring a sermon this morning that is clear from Scripture. Give me uh, your Holy Spirit to just guide me and lead me in what I say. Open our hearts, Father, to hear the word. Help us in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, <clears throat> what I want to do is uh, give you, as normal, a bit <clears throat> of exposition. <clears throat> Sorry what these verses mean, what they say, and then apply it to us, some takeaways, and then, of course, how is this countercultural? So, there's three parts to this section. The first part is the desire of an elder, a pastor, an over the desire. So, verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. Paul writes to Timothy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. This saying is trustworthy. What it means is that we should take clear attention to what is coming next. It's like when Jesus says, verily, verily, I say to you, you better listen up. This is important. It's not to be missed. It's not to be overlooked. It's not to be ignored. It's not to be read over. Listen. This saying is trustworthy. In fact, Paul uses this term five times in the pastoral epistles, in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then in uh, Titus, five different times. This saying is trustworthy. Hear it. And then the second part of the verse, it says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. The word aspires, it really means to reach, 
to stretch, to stand on tippy toes. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer. Now, there's an unfortunate translation here by the ESV, this idea of office. When we hear it, we think of, of structures and organizations and hierarchies and institutions and, and bureaucracy. The King James, the old King James, helps us out a lot here. It says, if anybody wants to be a bishopric, <laughs> bishopric, what, what does that help? I don't know what that means. Well, I want to tell you, uh, it's one word in the Greek, office of overseer. It's episcope. Episcope. It's where the Episcopal Church gets their name. And uh, I grew up in the Episcopal Church, and man, oh man, that is a church of hierarchy if there ever was one. So when we think of it, we may think of bishops and hats and, and, and all kinds of funny things. That's not what it means. It means if anybody wants to be an overseer, if anybody wants to take that position, it doesn't mean office, it doesn't mean really a bishop, it doesn't mean a big hat, it doesn't mean any of that stuff. And in the New Testament, I want to tell you that there are three word groups that are always grouped together when we talk about this particular person. You know what those three words are? I've said them already, I think. Pastor, elder, and overseer. For example, if you look over in in 1 Peter 5, um, Peter says, to the elders... I want you to shepherd, to pastor the church, taking oversight. It's the same people, elders, pastor or shepherd, oversight. Same thing happens in Acts 20. The same thing happens in in Titus. So we understand when Paul is talking here about overseers, he is grouping those together as well. And so when we think of the term uh, elder, that's used, we immediately think of somebody that's older, some, somebody that has, has some, some age on them. Well, it really means somebody who has had the time to demonstrate their character to you. That's how I think of it. When we think of pastor... It's someone with the heart to shepherd God's people. And when we think of overseer, it's someone that exercises oversight, particularly in respect to the teaching of sound doctrine and all that it entails, the administration and oversight of the ministry of the Word. You put those three together, and you look in the dictionary, and Ben Preston's picture comes up. (laughs) Yeah? He's got that smile, you know, and he's got the hair, and he's got those teeth, and you you just love him. 
So that's what, that's what this is talking about. And it says he desires a noble task. Number one, the clear implication is that elders, pastors, overseers are male. He. I'm going to talk about that a, a little bit more. Uh, next week, we're going to see that when we look at deacons, there's room for female deacons. A- absolutely, definitely. And then it says, uh, he desires. I-, I-, I want to tell you, the leadership at New King, what we are all about is recognizing new leaders recognizing the desire that God has already placed in their hearts, the desire to shepherd God's people, to care for God's people, the desire to minister the word to them, the desire to, 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 to just d- display their character. And we have two, Luke and Camden, that are, that are in that process right now. We have recognized what God has already given them that desire. And it's a noble task. First off, it's a task. It's work. Being a pastor is really, really hard work. You get involved in situations that you can't even imagine. It's hard. It's really hard. But there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And pastors are to be valued and recognized. So, Desire a pastor, that's verse 1. Now we come to verses 2 through 5, the qualifications and some disqualifications of a pastor. Now, as you read down through this list, they come in rapid uh, succession, one after another, and, 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 and Paul doesn't elaborate on very many of them. And, and what do we see as we look down through this list? Uh, above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. You see what I'm getting at? It just comes. What do we see? Well, the qualifications are remarkable because they're unremarkable. Sometimes we talk and we, we talk about 1 Timothy 3 or we talk about Titus and we kind of shake in our boots and say, oh man, who could ever live up to that? It's normal stuff. Other than a couple of things here, I can find other New Testament verses that apply these qualifications to not me, but you too. All of us are required to live like this. Our conduct is important, therefore we're required to live like this. So they're remarkable because they're unremarkable. Secondly, the focus, and it's my first point, is on the character of the individual. And there's a couple exceptions here, and I'm going to talk about those in detail, but it's mainly the character. So the first qualification in verse 2, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. That's sort of an overall summary statement, and the rest of the list describes what that looks like. So it's sort of a summary, above reproach, well, about what? How? The next verses talk about that. The first thing that's mentioned is uh, the husband of one wife. Now, if you look at that in the Greek, it's basically a one-woman man. 
a one-woman man. A clear and consistent pattern of honor, love, and devotion to his wife alone. This is the characteristic that should be displayed. Should be devoted to his wife. It prohibits promiscuity. It's also interesting, it prohibits, prohibits homosexuality. We were just driving up today listening to uh, the radio and it talked about uh, the Methodist Church has a big division that's coming up and it's basically about uh, uh, whether they could have gay pastors or not. I think this verse says no. Now, some of the questions that people have had about this uh, is, does an elder have to be married? I think the answer is no. Uh, Jesus wasn't married. Paul wasn't married at the time. So, no, I don't think it does. Um, what about someone that's, um, that's been divorced? Do they qualify? What about the, if they get remarried? Do they qualify or are they disqualified from being a pastor or an elder or an overseer? We have to look at each situation. If there's been a pattern, right? If there's been a pattern of several marriages and several divorces, probably not a good quality for a pastor to have. Now, on the other hand, if it's been one and it's been something that has, is out in the open and people know about it, probably fine. Each case is individual. It does not necessarily disqualify. Um, the next thing that's mentioned is uh, sober-minded. Uh, and, and I, there's a little bit before about, uh, after that, about, um, about uh, not being a drunkard. So I think this particular phrase here means this. If I'm sober-minded, I'm clear-minded. I'm having good judgment. I'm calm. I'm collected in spirit. I'm able to look at complex situations and circumstances and clearly see the situation and apply the Word of God to it. I have focus. I'm sober-minded. My middle son, Joshua, coaches Regen's high school basketball, the boys. And my wife and I like to go to the games, and we sit right behind the bench because we love to see Coach Josh. And I love it, particularly in the timeouts. The other team has scored 10 unanswered points. Josh, yep, timeout. I say, yeah, good call, bud. Good call. That's right. Talk to him. Now, if it were me, I would be wound up, yelling and hollering at them, and no. Not Coach Josh. He brings him in, and he gets down, and he says, this is what I'm seeing. You're not getting back on defense. you got to get back on defense. And he calms them down. He clearly sees the situation, and he tells them what to do. Sober-minded. Yeah, you feel that? You get that? Sober-minded. That's what we want in our leaders. That's what we want. For, this is what God wants from you to be sober-minded. And then um, self-controlled is the next one. It's another big one. It means your conduct is controlled by your knowledge. 
of the gospel. You're prudent. You're wise. You're thoughtful. You're not controlled by passions and lusts. But you're governed by wisdom, self-controlled. Next, respectable. I came downstairs uh, after a little while, and I had this shirt on. My wife says, you're not going to wear that shirt. <laughs> it's all wrinkled. I said, I know. She said, it's not respectable. You can't be up there. <laughs> respectable. It's a funny word. We talk about respect with people, and we say about certain people, I have not, don't have much respect for that guy. Or we might say, oh, man, I have tremendous respect for that guy. It's kind of a scale here. What does it mean? Does it mean really how we dress? No. The best way for me to explain it is to talk about someone that's here today. When I first moved to Vermont, the first Christian I met at work was a guy named Frank. Out back in the corner there, he's shaking his head. He's like, why are you doing this to me? And Frank, I worked with Frank for 34 years, the same company. And Frank was my pastor. I didn't go to his church. Frank didn't have that exact position. He held a lot of positions in, 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 in the church. He was an elder. He was a deacon. He did the sound. He did everything. Why was he my pastor? Because I had respect for him so that he could speak into my life. When I have respect for somebody, that means I have seen their conduct, I've seen their manner of life, and I'll hear what they say. That's what respect is all about. I now, that person now has the ability to speak into my life. Respect. Hospitable. Willing and open to share their life with you. It's not just about having people over for dinner, which is a really good thing. Am I, as a leader, willing to pour into somebody that wants to be poured into? Am I willing? And that's the hard part about being a pastor. When you pour into somebody, you don't know what's going to happen. You're really out there. Pouring in. Do I pour into somebody? It's no different for you either. God wants you to pour into other people. God wants you to care about others. God wants you to have pastor's heart. All of you, to care. If you're going to be like Jesus, you've got to do it. Not, none of you are off the hook. Now, this next one. Okay, able to teach. This is a big one. Able to teach. This is really a competency. The other things are, 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 are not quite that. This one definitely is. And this is the difference between an elder and a deacon. Uh, next week when Ben teaches about deacons, you'll see it's not, this, this teaching isn't in there. They have to know the scriptures. You'll hear about that. But it's really teaching that distinguishes an elder from a pastor. Able to teach. Two things. You have to have something to teach. And you have to be able to communicate it. 
One of the problems is that some pastors can't communicate. Have to have that. You've got to be able to somehow. And that takes time, and that takes effort, and that takes practice, and that takes patience. I wake up in the middle of the night still and think of early sermons that I, that I gave, and it's like, how could anybody have stood it? They were patient with me. They were kind to me. They were helpful to me. They gave me, they gave me instruction. They said, hey, think about doing it this way. Iron your shirt. You have to be able to communicate it, and it takes some time to learn to do that. And everybody has a different voice. That's why New Keegan is so awesome. We have multiple men that desire to teach and to preach and to bring God's word from you, and that is such a blessing that you get to hear from different voices, from different age groups, from different experience levels. So thankful for that. But you have to have something to say. You've got to have something to teach. And it has to be from the Word of God. It has to be that. It can't be me just here saying, yeah, I was driving in and I heard this podcast. Yeah, I did talk about it here in the radio. But that can't be all there is. It's got to be based upon the Word of God. What does that look like? First, or Titus chapter 1, verse 9. I'm going to put this up here, or actually Luke's going to put it up. It's the best description of what it looks like, and there's three things of what it means to teach. Number one, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word. This is required. Hold firm to the trustworthy word. It is the word of God that we preach with no apologies. We hold firm to it. We hold fast to it. We learn it. We preach it. We try to live it. Second, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Remember a few weeks ago I preached on uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I talked about sound. It means healthy so that you can flourish as a Christian. Not to beat you down, but to lift you up and encourage you in God's word. Sound doctrine. And number three, rebuke those who contradict it. Why was Timothy left at Ephesus? Chapter 1, you've got to stop the false teaching. It's our job to be vigilant, and when we hear it, to put a stop to it. So three things. Hold firm. Give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. So an elder teaches with authority. Can't get around that. So let's go back to last week just for a moment. Chapter 2, verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Women are to learn. We can get wrapped around the axle so greatly on this passage and so wound up. From the context of this whole letter, it means simply this, no women pastors. Doesn't mean a woman can't teach in other venues. It means a woman can't be a pastor. That's how we understand the scripture. And if you would like to talk to somebody about that, 
here is what I offer. I think the best place to go is to another woman. Talk to my wife. Talk to Ben's wife. Talk to, to Lucius's wife. Talk to them. It is more powerful for you to hear what it means to be a Christian woman from them than it is from me or from Ben or any of us dumbhead men. Talk to them. Okay? <laughs> Diamond, I'm so glad you're here today. It's so wonderful to have you. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of qualifications. Now we come to verse 3. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Disqualifications. If you count up, there were seven qualifications. Now there are four disqualifications. Not a drunkard. Seems pretty obvious. But it really speaks to addiction, doesn't it? It's really addiction. <laughs> Controlled by the Spirit, not by alcohol or drugs. Number two, not violent, but gentle. Not bullying, not abusive, not dictatorial, not my way of the highway. Last summer, I listened to a podcast from Christianity Today. It was about the church in Mars Hill out in the Northwest, about a pastor named Mark Driscoll. It was... It shook me to my core because he was dictatorial. He was abusive. It was his way or the highway, and the church was torn apart by it. Domestic violence. Men, if you are violent in your home, you need help now. You need help Talk to one of us. If you are violent in your home, it has to stop. This is not a godly characteristic. You have to stop this. Woman, if you are in a violent home, you've got to get out and we will help you. There is no room for violence in any way but to be gentle. That's just as true for me as it is for all of you. Not quarrelsome. Not looking for conflict. You ever get with those people that just live for conflict and everything becomes a battle and a fight? That's probably not a good pastor. That's probably not a good characteristic for you either. What are you doing it for? You've got to win every argument. You've got to be the smartest person in the room. Come on. Not quarrelsome. We're to be peacemakers. We're to be gentle. We're to be kind. We're to be patient. We're to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. Stop your fighting. <laughs> Come on. If you have that characteristic, ask the Lord for help with that. Not a lover of money, the fourth one. Oh, my word. Money can just take over our lives, our house households. You read the news Right? The guy with a million dollars worth of jewelry got robbed. The other guy, a couple weeks ago, he was a pastor and he was berating his congregation because they couldn't buy him a Rolex or something like that. Are you kidding me? Listen. It is a terrible evil. There's more on that in chapter 6 when we get to it. Not a lover of money. 
for you or for us as pastors. Okay, now we come to verses 4 and 5. We're getting closer to the end. He must manage his household, his own household. I'm sorry. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So this next couple of verses talk about the character demonstration both within and without. So first within, within his own home. He must be a good household manager. This is a big deal. This is a bit of a competency. Do you remember the purpose of 1 Timothy? Why Paul wrote this letter to this man, this young man? Chapter 3, verse 15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul uses this metaphor, the church is a household. Paul talks about how we need, first and foremost, to manage our households well. And it says a little further, it talks about... um, if he can't do this, if someone does not know how to manage his household well, how will he care for God's church? So, so management is linked with caring. Overseeing is connected with the idea of pastoring, shepherding, caring for God's people. Keeping his children under control. Have you ever been to a house in which the children kind of are in charge? Yes, thank you. Boy, it's tough to be there and watch it unfold before your eyes. I remember when Annette and I were first married, we were invited over to a couple's house, and the ordeal of putting the children to bed took two solid hours with more stories and another drink, and I got to use the bathroom. And it was like we looked at each other and said, not us. We're not doing that. So this idea of managing our house, being in charge, being the head of a household for a man, keeping your children under control is really important. You basically demonstrate that, and when you do, you then maybe could be considered to be a pastor of a church, an overseer of a church, a manager of a church. Now, some people say, well, does this require a pastor to have children? No, it doesn't. Uh, Again, Paul wasn't married, didn't have children. Uh, Jesus, same thing. But if he does have children, he needs to manage his household well. He needs, to, he needs to have a house of peace and calm, not violent. Does, does, um, what happens if the children are not all believers? Does that disqualify him? 
If you look over to chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. So, as you go through that section, we learn that in the church, in the household of God, there are some that are going to depart. They're going to leave. What happens when a kid goes off the rails in your home? It happens to us all. It might happen in high school. It might happen in college. It might happen later. How do you handle it? What do you do in that situation? Do we handle it with grace and gentleness, with truth and boundaries? Do we pray for them? Do we still love them? Do we care for them? Yes. Do we get angry and blame God? Do we completely stay away from them because they've done something awful? I don't think so. If we can handle that and do it with grace and truth, Maybe it will help us as we become a pastor because the household of God will have people that leave, unfortunately. A couple more, not a recent convert. It says, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Not a recent convert, not a novice, not a neophyte. We see this sometimes with actors and rock stars where they make a profession of faith and the first thing the church does is make them into somebody in front of everybody else. Nine times out of ten, it's a disaster. They're not ready for it, right? We all know that, but it happens. Not someone brand new to the church, now, I showed up at New King here a couple years ago. I'd known Ben for a few years, and, and, and uh, you know, I, then I was thinking about retirement, and I was thinking about maybe giving to the church. They waited a bit. They wanted to see who I was and how I conducted myself. They wanted to spend time with me. They wanted to get to know me. They wanted to see my conduct in life as well as my doctrine. They did not rush. I'm so thankful for that. Not a recent convert, not someone new to the church. You see, when, remember I talked about elders? There must be time for them to demonstrate their character within the church to be an elder. And it doesn't necessarily mean age. Is there time to demonstrate who they are in Christ? Not a recent convert, not a novice. And then finally, outside, without. It says, uh, the last verse, well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. What people think of you in your community, where you work? Are you known to be a cheater, a tax evader? Uh, an angry person? How are you known in your community? God cares about that. <laughs> Do you have friends that are not Christians? I hope so. Do you spend time with non-Christians? Do you meet with people? Do you talk to people? Do you, do, you, do you eat with people that aren't Christians? 
If the answer is no, God, help the church. We want to be kind. We want to be gentle. We want to be loving. We want to be caring. We want to be witnessing. We want as many people as possible to find and follow Jesus. Have you ever heard that before? If you're not meeting with unsaved people, how are they going to do it? Good reputation with those without. Okay, that's it. Now, um, a few takeaways and conclusions. So I'm going to start with my first three points and just hammer away at those because they're important. The list is based primarily upon the character of the person and not necessarily their competencies. Bible teacher Philip Jenkins. Jenkins is a character. He's from New Zealand, I think, and he's got this thick accent. I love to listen to the guy. He's really smart, really intelligent. He says what God cares about most is our character and our convictions. Competencies are a benefit, is how he describes it. God cares about our character and our convictions. And what word in 1 Timothy does Paul use to describe this? Godliness. Our devotion to God. Uh, A little further down in chapter 3, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. The mystery, something that was hidden before and is now exposed, godliness. What is it based on? It's based upon the gospel. Jesus was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, all of that. It's about the gospel of Jesus. It's from your knowledge of God that you get your convictions and character. And as these deepen, then and only then can you use your competencies, right? Then and only then can you use your competencies. Okay, based upon character. Second, the character is first displayed within the person's own household. Now, this is mentioned in both the description and qualifications for elders as well as deacons. It's in both places, so it's important. The home is a proving ground of a man's leadership potential in the church. The home is a proving ground. Manage your household well. Be an overseer. Be a leader. Be a pastor in your home. When you do that, Lastly, these characteristics apply to all of us, most especially leaders, but to all of us. To say in another way, this is what God wants us to be like. Remember chapter 2, the exhortations? We should, I said, you know, men are to pray with holy hands. We're all to pray with holy hands. It's for all of us. It's not just the men. Women, you pretty much got that covered. Men need to hear it. Women, you need to learn. We all need to learn in quietness and submission like Jesus learned. These are all characteristics of Jesus. Don't you see? We should all be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, 
respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. All these things apply to us just as well. If we have these characteristics and convictions, if we embody them in our lives, in our own households, then we may be recognized as one that can lead and serve in the household of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Hold us accountable. Hold us accountable. I just want to share with you, we hold ourselves accountable as pastors. I want to just tell you what that looks like. Monday mornings we meet. For the first hour, hour and a half, we go around the room and we give a score, one to ten. How did you do last week? How are you doing last week? And sometimes it's an eight and sometimes it's a three. And the guy with the lowest number goes first, and he talks about what God is teaching him, what he's struggling with, and why it might be a three. And then the other three pastors come alongside him and bring Scripture to his heart and pray for him. That's how we start our week. We hold each other accountable, and these young men that I meet with, they are honest, they are sincere, and they want to help each other. Ben keeps calling it, we're a band of brothers. And I love that. We hold each other accountable. And then we talk about our teaching. We talk about the, the passages coming up, and we, we go off each other and say, how are we going to teach that? And what am I going to say? Ben asks, like, hey, Eric, are you okay with women deacons? I say, yeah, I'm okay with these. I just want to make sure. We want to make sure that our teaching is scriptural. We hold each other accountable for our life and conduct and for our teaching. And then we fight over who's going to preach what, which is the best part. <laughs> you need to do the same thing. Hold us accountable for our life and our doctrine. Now, of course, we're not perfect. Oh, my word, there's a lot of material here. <laughs> there's a lot of material. It's not an invitation to pick us apart with a critical spirit. Be gentle. Give us the benefit of the doubt. But if you see something in our conduct and our teaching that you don't think measures up to the gospel of the glory of God, you come talk to us. You speak to us. Give us an opportunity to repent and say, I'm sorry. Or say, well, here's the reason I, I did that. Just, we want to have dialogue, but we want you to hold us accountable. And then, you remember verses 6 and 7? Fall into the condemnation of the devil, into the snare of the devil, Will you pray for us as leaders? Satan wants to trip us up because when he trips us up, it will affect the entire household. 
pray for us that we would resist the devil and that he would flee. Please do that. Now, finally, uh, countercultural. First in the world, second in the church. So first, how does the world choose leaders? Does their personal morality matter? Hmm? That's the question we all hear today over and over and over again. I think a few of us were alive back when Bill Clinton was president. Maybe a few. I know I was, a couple. So Clinton had an affair with uh, Monica Lewinsky, and, uh, and that really was the start of the conversation where the question was, if someone can perform their job effectively, does their personal life matter? And man, oh man, oh man, we have heard that over and over. That was really the start of it from what I can remember. The answer the world gives is that we'd sort of like the person to be moral and upright in their personal life, but it's not essential. What really matters is can they do the job? Let me tell you, friends, in the household of God, in the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth, personal morality and godliness are absolutely essential. They are non-negotiable. Church leaders are to be above reproach. But wait. How is that working out in the church these days? Let's be honest. Not so good. Every day I get an email into my inbox from uh, a group called Ministry Watch. Every single day. And that details the failings of pastors throughout the country. I read it, and I'm discouraged, and I'm humbled. What's going wrong? Churches are not following the clear qualifications of 1 Timothy and Titus. They're not choosing leaders properly, nor are they holding them accountable. Here's what happens. Here's how, what we do in the church. We pick a kindly older lady to teach Sunday school to our kids, but she doesn't really know the gospel, and really what matters to her is that kids be good. We, find a, we pick a youth leader, and he is just the coolest guy in the world. He's got some ink. He wears vans. You know, he's the coolest. He skateboards. That's the guy we want for our youth leader. But, oh, by the way, he's living with his girlfriend. We'll just overlook that for now. We pick a community leader. A community group leader. Oh, he's got a big house. He's got a great living room. He's such a nice guy, and he wants people to be there. And, man, he's a good cook and cooks good food. And you go over there, and he's screaming at his wife. And he's yelling at, her, at the, his kids. And his kids are so scared to even be around him, you can see them visibly shake. But he's got a big house. Or we pick a Pastor. Man, that guy can preach. <laughs> he's funny. He's engaging. He has boyish good looks. What can I say? That's the guy we want. 
And yeah, we heard that he uh, kind of left his last church in a hurry. And we don't want to ask about that. And maybe there was another church before that that he was in and he left. And when we do ask him, he says, who are you to question me? But he's a good preacher. Oh, my God. Whole generations are misled and stumbled. Churches are in ruin, and our testimony is in shambles. We need leaders that follow the qualifications and the guidelines of 1 Timothy 3. First comes conduct in the household. It's for all of you, for all of us. Hold us accountable. We, I'm not trying to leave on a negative note, but it's a shame the way the church is. It's a shame. God is blessing us here at New King. Thank God for the leaders that we have. Thank God for the prayers that go up. Thank God for the Word of God that, that relegates our life and our conduct. Thank God for the gospel of Jesus. It's only by that. You know who our chief shepherd is? You know who, who is really the head of the church? It's Jesus. He is our chief shepherd. He is our elder. He is our overseer. And when we put him first... Everything else will fall into place. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these verses. We thank you for the solemnity of the fact that the church has made such mistakes. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to look to Jesus, our chief shepherd, who gave his life for the sheep. Help us to do the same. Keep us pure. Keep us focused. Keep us preaching the word of God. We ask for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen.